and welcome to the Destinate NZ Show. I'm Michelle. And I'm Chambers. And today we're heading to Australia. Woohoo! Some sunshine. Sunshine, warmth. Oh, yeah. if only we could actually head to Australia, <laughs> Chambers. <laughs> well, we can. We just can't get back. Well, I can because I'm in the South Island, but you just can't get back. Yes. Well, I can't even get there at the moment. And I have to wait until the 17th of January to get back. So... Yes. Anyway, but we are heading to Australia. But firstly, how's your week been? Well, it's been an interesting week, hasn't it, really? Traffic light systems kicked in. Yeah. That's been a lot of fun trying to work our way and navigate our way through that and the changes that have happened since it got launched. Yeah. But that's been good. You know, really, it's business much as usual. A few technicalities that we need to deal with, but that's okay. We can work through those. So that's good. Yeah, I think it's been hard for everybody. Obviously, my emails have been inundated with every mailing list that I'm on updating their vaccination status. But also just some of those, there's been some changes in the takeaway description and what they can do. There's been some changes around physiotherapy and healthcare. So yeah, it's been a real challenge for people. So I'm glad that I haven't had to do that, to be honest, but I've been trying to stay on top of it. But I've actually had a week in Christchurch helping my niece move into her new house. That was lovely. So I actually had a week off. So we recorded last week's episode just before I went away on Monday. So we didn't actually get the opportunity to talk about the Tourism Awards winners. No, we didn't. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But wasn't it great? I watched it. I know you watched as much as you could before you went out to dinner. Yeah, yep. I watched most of it in my hotel room in Christchurch with my niece and nephew sitting there patiently waiting for me to take them out for dinner. But it looked <laughs> like a really fun night and a lot of teams were getting together and it was great. And congratulations to all of the winners. Now, you and I had a little, it wasn't even a wager because we didn't say that the winner would get anything, did we? But, <laughs> we did. but yeah, anyway, so you and I had a little bit of a wager and... I've got the results for that, and I am pleased to say that you won. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yay to you. I wish I had a trophy to give you, but I'm Zooming with you, so it's just like the awards night. But, yes, you chose six correct winners, and um, I only chose four. So it was really tough. It was really tough, but and we both, there was lots that we both agreed on, so it was like... Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And it was yeah. very close. You know, when I was making my decisions and on who I thought might win, obviously there were a few that we both wrote. We think it'll be this person, but it could be that person, person or yeah. that company. <laughs> and yeah, it was very tight. But I, I thought I was on a really good roll because I actually picked the first two. And I was like, yes, I'm doing really thought, well. Yeah, me too. On my I path thought. to being a judge next year. <laughs> And oh, wow. you can still work on that that's fine you've got a year to get there <laughs> yeah. exactly and big shout out to Dave Bamford who was also named the Sir Jack Newman Outstanding Industry Leader Award on the night so congratulations Dave really cool guy I've done some work with right. Dave in the last few years and yeah just a legend of our industry and such a well-deserved award for him so I was really chuffed to see that yeah great act and yeah, awesome well done Dave 
Yeah. And we've also had some sad news in the past week with the passing of Matt Mm. Standing, the CEO of Mitchell Corp and pretty much all round industry icon. So yeah, there were about 300 people at his funeral and celebration of life on Sunday in Christchurch, which I managed to get to. And yeah, I mean, it was a, a lovely celebration of his life, but obviously a really sad occasion to catch up with so many in the industry. So we just wanted to acknowledge that and obviously send yeah. our love out to son Josh and, and Lynette and the rest of the family. Yeah, absolutely. Devastating. Yeah. Yeah. Another major player in our industry taken too soon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So before we get into the show, we actually Mm -hmm. have one more competition winner to announce from our Tourism Awards series that we did. So we've got that family pass to Sanctuary Mountain Mangatotari. And I should go on. Well, actually, I, I'll tell you a little secret. I decided this week I would use <laughs> a comment picker app to actually wow. the winner. So you can just put it in and look at the post and put the rules in and it automatically chooses a winner for you. I did that just before we came onto the show to record this. And we drew out Josie Juniper. Wow. So congratulations, Josie. We're going to be in touch with you so you can claim your prize to Sanctuary Mountain. And Josie has quite, I don't know if she's new to Instagram. She doesn't have many followers, but she has an incredible profile. I did a bit of a snoop and she's got some really lovely travel photos on her profile. So yeah, I think she'll be great to go and see the guys at Sanctuary Mountain and have a look there with her family. She might be a budding influencer on the making. So maybe. And it all started here. <laughs> and it all started here. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So who have we got today, Michelle? Well, today, as we mentioned at the start, we're going to Australia. So we're welcoming GoWay's general manager, Kathy Turner, to the show because I thought it was time that we brought an Australian perspective and obviously not just mine because really <laughs> I am based here, but our podcast is global and our tourism industry is global and Australia is our biggest tourism market. So we wanted to see how they were feeling, what they've been doing and what the outlook looks like from there. So we welcome Kathy to the show and really excited to chat to her. She's got some great insights. Kathy is well known to a lot of the industry here. She ran AOT in Auckland for many years. She's also on the board of ATEC over there, which is the equivalent to the Tourism Export Council here. So, yeah, just has that really well-rounded knowledge of everything and tapped into all the different sectors in Australia and will be able to give us some good insights to what's happening. I really enjoyed this interview. It was it was great to have some an outside perspective with some awesome insights to share. So yeah, listen on people because there's some really good stats. Yeah, definitely. And then next week we've also got a pretty cool episode lined up, Chambers. We have. I love this one too. It was Clinton Farley, the GM at the Hotel Bridemar in Auckland. And did you know it's NZ's only five green star hotel, Michelle? Well, I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't know that it was the only five green star hotel? I do now. (laughs) Okay. It's pretty special, isn't it? It opened in the middle of a global pandemic. So naturally, Clinton is going to be able to share some really interesting stories with us on just how that was possible. And we'll check in with how they're going. 
That's next week, though. But for now, sit back and enjoy our chat with Kathy. Yes, enjoy the show, everyone. Kakite. Yes, Kakite. Kia ora, and today we welcome Go Away General Manager from Sydney, Kathy Turner, to the show. Kia ora, Kathy. Kia ora. Kia ora, Kathy. It's so good to finally get you onto our podcast. We've been wanting to do this for a while. Let's start by you telling us a little bit about your career and history in the tourism industry. Oh my goodness, I thought it was going to be a short podcast. Potted history of me. So I started started life in tourism as a camper van girl, much like yourself, Michelle. In fact, yes. we were together under Brits camper vans. I worked initially for THL and then moved across to Australia in 95 to Brits camper vans. I started in online travel in 1998 when most people barely had a website so uh, spent some time at travelonline.com. I then in 2001 returned to New Zealand and headed up AOT New Zealand for about nine and a half years I was the general manager based in Auckland. Then spent a little bit of time doing some contract work for Air New Zealand. I worked for Tomahawk Tourism in the digital marketing space so, and also tourism technology. So I worked for Tour Writer as well. So I have a real bit of a nerdy software API kind of <laughs> like background as well as an inbound kind of pedigree from, from the, the Burns camp, which mm-hmm. was AOT. From there, I leapt across into OTA and I worked as the country manager for Agoda.com, which is one of the booking holdings. That was fascinating. I spent four years in the world of online travel, a, a roller coaster ride, um, but that's what brought me back to Sydney. So I was the country manager in New Zealand. I was brought across to Sydney four years ago, four and a half years ago, as the associate director for Agoda here in Australia. And I joined Go Away. I just hit three years with Go Away. So I'm loving being back in my heartland, which is inbound tourism. <laughs> Go Away. For those of your listeners who may not know GoWay that well, GoWay is a 50-year-old company founded by a, a well-known tourism industry icon, Mr. Bruce Hodge, <laughs> a good Australian boy who lives up in Toronto. And Bruce, as I said, founded this company back in the 1970s. We were to be celebrating a big 50th party in, in 2020, but clearly we didn't. And he's been selling Australia and New Zealand to the North American market for that period of time with an inbound office. Uh, I think the inbound office is about 35 years old. So we've wow. always sold Australia and New Zealand from Sydney. And then as I joined Go Away, yeah, three years ago, we went straight into bushfires and pandemic not long after that. Yeah, it's oh. been a pretty full on time for you since then, hasn't it? It's been fun for all of us, fun and not fun for all of us. So mm-hmm. we've had our ups and downs. And how is Go Away faring at the moment and how are you pushing through? So Go Away... In North America, I'm going to talk about a North American operation first. It's doing really well now that markets are open. So Mm -hmm. we always had an interesting journey through the pandemic, like all wholesalers. Markets have opened, Tahiti's open, Tahiti's closed, Maldives is open, Maldives is closed. It's been stop-start for them all around the world. But since Europe opened, the company is actually doing very, very well. Um, Mm. They've got great demand. They've recalled all the staff that they stood down and almost all those that 
there were a few redundancies. So almost all of those or all of those seats have been replaced. So they're back to really, really strong position. Now mm. it's not perfect. It's yeah. not 2019 levels, but it's certainly looking very promising. So go away in Australia, when the borders shut, we were immediately told, find some domestic business, go forth and conquer the domestic market. The Aussies will want to travel around Australia. But we're a B2B operator, you know, we're an inbound tour operator. So we had no retail distribution. We don't want to go out there and, and fight for space with Flight Center and everybody else out mm -hmm. there. So we went B2B and our business development manager and myself, but mainly Chris, he contacted every single outbound wholesaler that he could find in Australia. And this was in about May 2020, just as the dust was settling, as everybody had got their passengers home and they were still cancelling, but they were, you know, starting to wonder what happens next. Chris reached out to anybody he could find, people who had advertised in travel magazines, people on LinkedIn, you know, people who sold river cruises in Croatia or in Europe or whatever, mm -hmm. African specialists, niche tour operators. And he reached out to every single one of them and he said, if you do want to sell Australia, we have what you need. We have 130 fly drives, you know, self-drives and, you know, all this product and look what, how we can help you be like a DMC in Australia. And wow. Yeah, it was a really smart strategy. It paid off for us. We had three companies kind of responded immediately. It doesn't sound like a lot, but you've got to bear in mind that these guys have got distribution. like Yeah, in, and massive databases. Yeah, of totally. and massive databases. People who traveled with them in Europe and, mm -hmm. and so on. So we tapped into that and we identified a player that hadn't been around very long, Inspiring Vacations, and they hadn't sold Australia before and they just went absolutely gangbusters. But it was early 2021 before that really happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But even just jumping in on that point, because of how Australia is set up, you've got the different states and of course there's different borders. So selling travel within Australia and having you guys help the Australians traveling around, then obviously that helps with those borders and having one person to go to. It's exactly. not like it was before it, it, when we could book it all online and not worry, right? Exactly. It was, yeah, suddenly the travel landscape here and internationally became very, very complicated. So, mm. so that's what we've been doing. We've also been selling New Zealand mm -hmm. um, from here. So, mm -hmm. yes, it was. Did you manage to get many Aussies across when the Trans-Tasman bubble was open? N not really. Not yeah. really at all, unfortunately, because it opened in April we didn't specialize in ski and the partner mm -hmm. that we were working with didn't special or chose not to specialize in ski you don't just start that from nothing yeah no um bookings flooded in absolutely flooded in it went ballistic between april and june for october onwards right and, and so it was all over by then <laughs> it was all over and then we spent the back end of june july august canceling all of that business yeah wow so, Kathy, we've got a million things that we'd love to talk about <laughs> with you today because obviously we're really keen just to get that Australian perspective on all of the announcements that have been made regarding our borders and what's happening in Australia. The states are now starting to open up and we've had some good news out of Queensland this week with them opening up earlier than they planned to. Um, but let's just 
start off by, can you give us a little bit of background in terms of what the Aussie industry has been doing in the last 18 to 20 months in terms of alignment and lobbying? I know the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry have had their Tourism Restart Task Force. Can you give us a a bit of a background on all of that? So in my current role now, I'm actually on the board of Australian Tourism Export Council. Mm -hmm. I was on the board of Tourism Export Council New Zealand as well. So I've got yes, a, yep. a bit of a background there too. And ATEC. And I, I do believe, Kathy, you were a young ITOWER as well back in the day in Victoria, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Oh, God. That's going back. But Don't yes. into that. <laughs> oh, putting the word young in front of my name. But it, so the Tourism Restart Task Force started quite early on during the pandemic. It was. I can't remember exactly which month it was started, but it was in those first few months after the border closures. Mm -hmm. And it was a body formed, coordinated by the Australian Chamber of Commerce, Mm -hmm. but it included cross-sector representation. So it included representation from inbound. So ATEC was there, two key inbound tour operators were there, the cruise industry, Tourism Australia, tourism accommodation sector, flight centre representing outbound and wholesale, and aviation conference um, events, and also Cato, which is the Council of of Australian Tour Operators. So outbound was at the table. So Mm. essentially, there was a very powerful voice between AFTA, which is your travel agents, Australian Federation of Travel Agents, Cato, ATEC and Cruise Lines alone, very, very strong voice, lots of employers, lots of employees and plenty of stakeholders sort of all talking together under the Australian Chamber of Commerce. It was a good strategy. It resulted in a couple of tranches of support, which were across the entire industry. You know, was it hugely successful? Did it save thousands of businesses? That's questionable. Mm. But it was very clear. And each of these industry groups still lobbied by themselves, but at least we all came under the chamber for really important, important lobbying on, on, and it still exists today. And it's still there talking about tourism restart. Yeah. What's the sentiment been from the industry in Australia? Do you think the government really understands the plight of tourism and how we've been so affected through this pandemic? Look, I think I think they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, they yeah, do, but I, they can't help much or they do, but they can't. So our Minister for Tourism, Mr. Dan Tian, he really does get it. And that apparently appears to be a very nice and very genuine person. He really understands it, mm. but he doesn't he, he doesn't appear to be able to really push it through at Treasury. Right. So the Australian, and the Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison is is ex-tourism, so you would think that he would care, but unfortunately, it hasn't happened that way. One thing that is true, though, is that the Australian industry hasn't been, I guess, hurt as badly as the New Zealand industry, where you guys really got hurt when the new minister came in, when Stuart Nash came in and started you know, throwing all sorts of uninformed statements around. The media slaughtered your domestic mm. company, you know, companies yep. by, by talking mm. about overpricing and things like that. Yeah. And 
I, it really hurt me. It really pained me to hear and to read those, those, that kind of commentary. Now, the Australian industry doesn't appear to have suffered that sort of negativity. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, you know, there's been pockets of it's really expensive, but the domestic industry here is an $80 billion industry at, best, at its day. Yeah. So picking up domestic tourism was a big opportunity. Yeah. So yeah, they're but, used to spending money in the islands. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah I mean I don't know if that really answered your question but I think yeah government has a slightly better understanding or better vested interest but you would think that the big tourism states like Queensland would have had a a strong backing for tourism and that wasn't the case Mm. that was all you know let's say health decisions yeah keep their borders very strongly closed yes definitely and go away. You've talked about a bit about how you got into the domestic, but was it? Is, has it been worthwhile? No, <laughs> absolutely not. It would have been. It would have been an absolute lifesaver. So our job keeper, we had a phenomenal wage subsidy program, a federal program mm-hmm. called Job Keeper, and that supported the majority of my staff. I have twenty-four staff, and I had twenty nine or something before the pandemic. So we've actually retained almost all our staff. JobKeeper helped with that. And towards the end of January, as we were staring in the face of the the loss of that wage subsidy, domestic picked up and it went absolutely crazy. So I brought everybody back to full time in anticipation of some phenomenal revenues. The Australians were traveling. They were booking New Zealand, well, mm-hmm. from April onwards, they were booking New Zealand, they were booking North Queensland, they were booking uh, far north Western Australia, Kimberleys and so on. So mm-hmm. we were seeing really strong, strong business and all of it, 70% of it cancelled in the end of June when New South Wales and Victoria went into When Delta lockdown. arrived, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we did a lot of work. It was fantastic. Everybody was riding high and it all came to a crashing halt. So it's been actually really hard Mm -hmm. to keep the team motivated and happy. The second lockdown, actually, the crash hit us harder, Mm. almost harder than the very first one because in March 2020, everybody was in the same boat and the whole world was in shock. But we didn't go into some of our inbound partners here our colleagues and friends have gone into full hibernation Mm, so they've been sort of I guess limping along just kind of staying above above water and they've had staff on very limited hours and so on whereas we had a a different experience where we went really hell for leather Mm. and then we had to cancel all that business and had to rebook it yeah so has it been worthwhile yes and no yeah yeah looking at the dollars definitely (laughs) but we've been doing meaningful work you know at least we've been putting together fantastic itineraries we've been building dreams and fulfilling these dreams which is what we do that's our business right Mm, that's what it is I are all in this business that's what we do yeah so at least we had the chance to do that yeah oh that's nice and looking ahead Kathy I guess we've sort of covered off a little bit of what's happened in the past 18 months. But when you look ahead, what are you starting to see and hear in Australia? Like we talked a little bit off air before we came on here about the aviation landscape. What are you seeing from airlines? What are they starting to announce coming back to Australia? What does that capacity look like? Is it, 
you know, is there a light at the end of the tunnel for you? A little it, one? <laughs> it, it is, it is. I've, I've got a bit of an inside skinny on this, having attended a couple of quite hard-hitting webinars and, and meetings recently. It's looking good, mm. to be honest. The aviation piece, Tourism Australia actually has a very strong aviation arm, if you like, and they keep us well informed as to what's happening in that space. The most recent news is all very positive. And in January 2022, which is next month, they're anticipating 34% of the pre-COVID international seats to return. Wow. Um, And as early as April, that number jumps to 60%. Wow. Yeah. So what we're talking there, these are what the airlines have scheduled. These are the slots that they've committed to in the airports. These are the the size of the aircraft that they're looking to carry. Qantas is bringing its A380s all out of of the deserts three months earlier than expected. Um, We've had some, you know, really positive news, not just from Qantas, but also the UK market is expected to be at almost 90% of its pre-COVID international seat capacity. Now, does wow. that, mean, that doesn't mean 60% of yeah. our visitors <laughs> will be back, Yeah, but it's very, very positive just in terms of the, the airlines putting that space because it means competition. No. It's very, very hopeful, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's that a really great. Good now that data is approximately two weeks old before our little O friend turned up. But assuming that our borders continue to open, then then it's starting to look mm. really, really good. And so, also, Kathy, and how does domestic look with alongside the international returning? As you you did have a figure on that that you, I think yeah. <laughs> so domestic airline capacity will be a hundred percent of scheduled seats this December. So that should be now and time for Christmas, 100% of route capacity. In April 2022, they're estimating 120%. So that shows that they're still, the airlines and the industry is still very, very focused on internal travel in Australia. They still expect another decent year, at least. And there's just so much uncertainty around outbound. So interestingly, we have a new airline about to start in Australia. It's called Bonza. <laughs> That's not a joke. Oh God! <laughs> right? I love it. Yeah, Bonza, Bonza will be Bonza, starting. Bonza, mate. And, Bonza. But they're looking. Get to your phones ready. I know, right? Okay, we do laugh, but we must show respect to anybody who wants to open an airline right well, now. Totally. Uh, Who's behind that one? Oh, look, I can't remember. They've got yeah. decent pedigrees, though. So my apologies. I don't, I don't know exactly who it is. But great stuff have come out of a crisis, you know. Um, yeah. There is opportunity. It's just timing your opportunity, right? And this guy's looking to open up routes to places that other people, like open new routes to yeah, right. Right. towns and things like that, like yeah. flying to Tiawamutu or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so good luck oh. to them. And Qantas has opened up 50 Five zero new domestic links since wow. the borders. It's crazy. Wow. wow. 
So, yeah, stats there. And so with this aviation sector, you said that tourism in Australia have a very good arm of the aviation sector. And so do you think they're the ones that have been really helping drive this or they've got an in with the ministry? Like why? Why is Australia seeing this? And it's and we've got this. Is it round the border security? Is that what this is that creates this growth? Because we're not seeing it in New Zealand or not hearing about it anyway. Well, uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a question of are you not hearing about it? Because I would hope, like you would have to think that the New Zealand Board of Airlines and, and airports and things would be lobbying and working just as hard. Mm, um, I would imagine, yeah. You would, you would think so, but they won't have the commitments on the dial yet because the borders are too uncertain. Yeah. So the airlines... Some of the hesitation with the airlines in Australia was around the internal borders. They were waiting for Queensland, you know, because why would you pop people into Sydney from these long-haul routes if they can't get to Queensland? Mm. Now that we have more or less certainty around the interstate openings other than Western Australia, the airlines are feeling that much more confident. So until you have that certainty in New Zealand, they can't actually put any real commitments in place, unfortunately. And, you know, a seven-day some sort of staying with your mates it just isn't going to wash (laughs) yeah so on that note we all got a little bit excited when we saw that there was finally a date attached to the borders reopening here until Mm. we read the fine print with that seven day home isolation which and I'm, I'm on record, I think, last week or the week before saying it's great for VFR. It's great for someone like me who wants to head home to Australia. I'm happy to isolate back here at home. But it's not so great for our visitors because particularly from the Australian market where the average stay is 9.2 days or something <laughs> and they have to spend seven days in isolation. So what is the feeling? What is the sentiment? What's been said? What are you seeing? I mean, we were excited for the ski season next year. That it's looks closed. a little bit in doubt. Yeah. yeah. Look, I'm sorry, but that is closed. Yeah. Wow. Seven days is closed. And I've, yep. you know, colleagues and, and our, our partners in Auckland have, have been all very positive. I know the industry is trying to position it positively. We've sent messages out to our international market agents saying it's starting, there's a chink yep. in and that we hope that sense will prevail and that this seven-day isolation will be reviewed. Yeah. Um, but then when you've got ministers like Hipkins out there saying tourism is our last, the tourist is the last person we want to see, you know, yeah. that really isn't a great message. So um, no. our, our, our business for New Zealand, look, we're still booking it. It's still coming in for late 2022, but it's definitely we've dialed down. Our partners over here have significantly dialed down the New Zealand marketing. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Having sad, lost sad. Yeah, and and look, the closures from October onwards, that that was nobody's fault. We don't blame anyone for that. That happened. But January to March to just, I don't know, when when the settings don't make sense, it it gives frustration when your host doesn't even have to stay home. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's that's the thing, isn't it? it? It does start to unravel a little bit and it's that inconsistency between what we've been told for the last 20 months and okay that has shifted because we've had vaccinations we didn't have vaccines last year we do this year yeah but 
even coming out of the traffic light system and Auckland sitting at 90% double vaxxed is in red, but then you've got other places that aren't as vaccinated sitting in orange. And yes, there's some cases in Auckland still, but it's very inconsistent and it's the same around that border policy, I think, as well. So it's hard for people to understand and give people confidence to book. Yeah. It really is. And and look, it just it it's not realistic to say, oh, look, I'm sure the government will figure this out and <laughs> realize that inbound tourism is actually really important, even if it's just the Aussies. This is gonna be a lifeline for some of our tourism businesses and some of our regional destinations that desperately need that offshore mm. tourist dollar. Because let's face it, New Zealanders did travel well domestically. Mm. Yep. But are they going to do it again and again and again? I don't, I don't know. And they yeah. never make up the shortfall of the international visitor because we just don't have the population here. You know, you're yeah, talking correct. 5 million people. They can travel around and around. It's still never going to make up for that international visitor. And particularly in places like the West Coast, we've Coast. talked about extensively. Yeah. Um, and we, don't we don't spend like an international no. That's been proven by the yeah. horrible media. Exactly. Well, cafes, cafes and restaurants do reasonably well, yeah. but the tourism activities and attractions don't. And yeah. on the on the whole, yeah, on the whole, yeah. It's so hard to 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 watch the risk of losing that critical tourism infrastructure, isn't it? Yeah. And and I don't think it's necessary. I really don't. But then you can't say, oh, look, I'm sure they'll come to their senses because they've got a history of. Keeping not. Things, you know, but we're not here to discuss the politics necessarily. <laughs> no, no, quite. But it's essentially closed. They've yeah. made it very clear how they feel about it yeah. from the get-go. And the reality is we'll keep hammering on and we'll keep living in hope. But yeah. And you know what? Unfortunately, that New Zealand traveller from Australia, a lot of the people travelling from here, our customers, will now just go to the islands or they'll stay in Australia or they'll go to Tasmania or something. They really will. Yeah. I just, you know, and they might think, oh, New Zealand's still on my bucket list for one day because New Zealand's amazing. Mm. But will they book it in 23, 24? No, they won't. They'll go somewhere else because we yeah. essentially in Australia, we're like New South Wales. We can go now. We're over. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you also look at it from the point of view that, New Zealand's always so easy to get to from Australia. And I think, and it might not be early next year, but towards the end of next year and going into 2023, I think we'll start to see those really good deals coming back to stimulate that travel overseas, hopefully if things settle down. And and that then makes it even harder for New Zealand, I think, to try. Yeah, I mean, the deals that are in the market currently for outbound Australia are unbelievable $159 one way Sydney to Hawaii $99 to Bali wow I'm coming over I was just gonna say I'm I'm booking I'm coming to Queensland right now and we'll get a holiday straight out oh my goodness what is Australia's opening plan as such you like you've talked about other countries and the borders are um, going to be opening but is there an actual plan where are you going we've got Fiji so far what's next well 
it, it varies by state. So the overall reopening plan is actually set by the feds and they've kind of given a bit of fuzzy picture back in when at 80%, when the whole country reached 80%, Morrison said the borders would open. Now that hasn't quite happened, but New South Wales and Victoria have opened their international borders. They're a little bit shut. Let's just call them. They've just swung away. <laughs> moment. Um, we've got 72 hours isolation and testing since the, the rise of our friend Omicron. But before that, they were essentially wide open. So an Australian resident or citizen can travel outbound to any destination in the world and can come back in without entering quarantine, except now, of course, the Southern African nations. So that happened oh, several weeks ago now. I can't quite recall. But Fiji opened on the 1st of December. Mm-hmm. And also opened to North America. So it's not mm. just New South Welsh and Victorians that are going to Fiji. The North Americans are there as well, are starting wow. to go. Yeah. So you can, there's a lot of countries that we can go to. We can go to the UK and we can come back. You have to have PCR tests from most countries to come back in. But then there's no isolation or the, well, currently there's three days. But yes, in terms of traveling out, Australians are feeling you know, pretty confident. There are still question marks around what if you do test positive overseas because the insurance caught up with that. But globally, the insurance companies have finally started to offer COVID insurance that covers isolation. I heard that Mm -hmm. just the other day that there was an American insurance company that now is covering isolation. In another country or in another country. Right. If you are required, if you catch it and you're required to isolate, you may not need hospitalization, which is covered by most travel insurance companies. So medical mm-hmm. expenses are covered. Right. But most but the inconvenience Australia currently covers isolation. And I just heard that there was one in the US or one or two in the US that are starting to cover it. So that right. is really, really promising from a global mm. Mm. Well, you'd mm. think that's almost an opportunity for insurance companies, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's because it's it's a sales point, right? It is. And, yeah. and everybody to travel, you basically have to be fully vaccinated and, and you have to have those negative tests. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I don't, I'm not into the risk profiling, but you would imagine that that would be an area of opportunity for insurance companies. Yeah. So once that happens here, then I think there will be almost no barriers to people. Yeah. Oh, 100%. If you know you've got that covered, that's huge weight off your mind. And I mean, let's face it, that's what you want to go on holiday for, to have everything off your mind. So, yeah. Uh, Kathy, I've just got one final question before we wrap up, because we could probably sit here and chat for hours and hours. (laughs) You're, you're and I know we have in the past, (laughs) you're obviously in Sydney. You guys have come out of a very long lockdown and that's been tough on everybody there have you got any tips for our listeners because Auckland obviously is coming out of a similar lockdown have you got any tips on how to stay resilient and mentally strong and remain agile in your business at the same time I know like it's a mammoth question but how have you gone about that in the last six months You know, it's something that's been very, very close to my heart in the last 10 days or so, Mm. is the sense of COVID fatigue. Now, to use a catchphrase like that, it's used widely around the world that everybody's a bit tired of COVID and a bit over lockdowns. And God, I have four children under 16. Mm. But it really did hit me a couple of weeks ago. Just, I just felt exhausted. And I think 
one thing that we need to tell ourselves in the travel industry in particular is that it hits us a lot closer because your average person in the street is going through lockdown, you know, it affects them however it does, they could have their own personal paths. But in the travel industry, every little announcement, every time in, in our case, if somebody sneezed in South Australia and the border closed to Northern Territory, we had to do something about that. Yeah. yeah. You know, so if a border closes, the UK closes to Europe or something, nobody cares mm. except for us. Yeah. So we kind of live our own lockdown, but also a wider lockdown because there's mm. so much activity happening in our brains as to what does that mean for the industry? What does that mean for my recovery, for my business mm. and for my life? And what I've kind of been advising myself and also my team who have gone through similar ups and downs is that really we will get through and nothing that we do today really matters that much we're not working on the front line we're not in ICU mm -hmm. so if I don't get that product pulled together or get that costing from that agent or whatever if I can't do that today because I'm not ready to do it today then talk to someone about it talk to me your manager talk to um, each other talk to a colleague and just give yourself permission Mm. To, to just drop out for an hour a day or, or whatever. Give yourself a break because yeah. we drive ourselves so hard. We've been doing it for all our careers. Mm -hmm. And this is potentially, I'd say, probably the hardest patch that any of us have had to go through. It's kind of nice that everybody's going through it in a way. Mm -hmm. It's nice for any of us, but it's, you know, there are people out there that will throw their virtual arms around you and say, okay, just just don't. Like, don't turn up today. Just, yeah. just go. Go and do something else. Even yeah. if it's sitting staring at you or calling a friend or something. So I guess that's a little bit of an insight as to what we've gone through in the last few months. But that's my advice to everybody is just, does it, does it really matter? Does this thing in front of me right now, does it really matter? Or can mm. I talk to somebody else and say, hey, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can meet my tax deadline today. If it's something like that, I just oh, I just don't have the headspace to do yeah. that thing. Yeah, it's just being a little bit kind to yourself, isn't it? And just realising that you aren't alone in the situation yeah. and just giving yourself that permission to yeah, have some downtime and look after yourself, I guess. And give yourself permission to acknowledge those feelings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very true. We're all so staunch and we're all so strong and, you know, we're, people might be looking at you as leaders or, or whatever, running your podcasts and things like that and you've got all the answers. But it's actually okay to be vulnerable and to tell your team how you're feeling. Yeah. yeah. To talk to each other about it. So yeah. it sounds a little bit cliche, but honestly, that's, that's really all I can say on, on that. 
Yeah, nice. Oh, that's a really nice way to yeah wrap up the, the episode. So thank you so much, Kathy. It's been great to catch up with you. I'm sure we will get you back on the show at some other um, date in the future because there's a lot to talk about and Australia is obviously a really important market for us. So I'm sure we'll have a lot of listeners tuning in and enjoying hearing your perspective on what's happening with COVID and hopefully a slightly brighter future for us all next year and just want to say thank you and it's not too late we are in December so Merry Christmas Merry Christmas (laughs) we can start saying that to our guests now (laughs) it's been an absolute pleasure and it look the future is bright we will get there we'll all we'll all be in a room together looking back one on day it. soon hopefully absolutely we will <laughs> okay thanks Kathy. Thanks, Kathy. Have a good day. Bye. Have a good day.